Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. You don't think it breaks God's heart when his own creation spits in his face all the way to the end of it, and he's offered a free gift of salvation for everybody, for everyone, not wanting anyone to end up there and wanting nobody to end up there. So much so that he would send his only son to die on a cross. If we don't understand that, then we don't understand who God truly is. Hell is a real thing. There's so many scams out there that often we become jaded about everything. We get tired of trying to figure out what's true and what's not, so we just give up. Sometimes, though, you end up kicking yourself in the head when you realize that you actually passed a great opportunity up. As Pastor James has said, God loves you so much that he gives chance after chance to put your trust in him. As you listen to today's message, you'll learn that God's offer for eternal life is really one that you don't want to pass by. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Revelation chapter 14 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Nobody taught more on hell than Jesus. Nobody did. The next guy who taught almost as much on hell as Jesus was the Apostle John, who is used by God to write this book of Revelation. And I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how smart they may seem. Hell is a real thing. It's a real thing. And yes, I've read the books that tell you that hell is not a real thing. And yes, I've looked at the doctrine from other religions that say, no, 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 God is a merciful God, so he will just annihilate all the bad people. And I'm like, no, then where's the justice? Then where's the justice? So I could just be a bad person. In the end of it all, I get wiped off the face of existence. Sounds like a good deal. Sounds like a pretty good deal. I can just be as bad as I want to be, and there's no consequences. Now, I understand our understanding of hell may not always be what you know, it's been sometimes communicated, and there's a Western idea of it. But I will tell you this. The Word of God is pretty clear on what that means, on what hell is. And when it talks about fire and torment and all that stuff, it's painting a very real and vivid picture because it is suffering. And before we get all twisted on this thing, hell in the sense of like, let's just call it the end of it all, because the end of it all is the lake of fire right? The end of it all, we'll see this at the end of Revelation, there's a lake of fire that has always been the destination for Satan and the fallen angels. Anybody who ends up in that thing is there because they stepped over the body of Jesus to get there. I see this all the time, and this is something that turns people off, and people who, you know, go to church and all this stuff, and then they get to this thing, and they're like, I can't, I just can't believe that a God who's supposed to be a God of love would allow people to suffer eternally. And I would say, then you don't understand God. Then you've gotten him wrong the whole time. Because the God that we know from the scriptures doesn't wish that anybody should perish. You don't think it breaks God's heart when his own creation spits in his face all the way to the end of it, 
and he's offered a free gift of salvation for everybody, for everyone, not wanting anyone to end up there, and wanting nobody to end up there. So much so that he would send his only son to die on a cross. If we don't understand that, then we don't understand who God truly is. Hell is a real thing. It is absolutely a real thing. It was never created for us. But we as people choose to go there. And that's a sad reality. It's absolutely a sad reality. But please do not think that God is just some grouchy old grandpa up in heaven, and he can't wait to throw people into hell. That's not how it works. If that's our viewpoint, we need to go back to reading the word of God. We need to really understand what the word actually says. But this message gets proclaimed to these people, and he's like, look, you didn't want him. You didn't want Jesus. He was presented to you. Every single person is without an excuse. Because you got first angel that's buzzing all around saying, like, listen, it doesn't matter who you are, but what about those lost tribes? No, they'll be fine. God knows how to get to them. If the church can't get there, if the church won't get there, God knows how to get to those people, okay? That's always been the thing. I've talked to people before, and they're like, I just can't because what about those lost people? I'm like, look, if you really care that much about them, go buy a plane ticket and go find them and tell them about Jesus. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, but then you don't care about them. So don't bring it up, okay? Okay, so don't bring it up unless you actually care about them and you're willing to do something about them. God knows how to rescue anybody. And he can use nature, which is what he's done for thousands of years, to communicate to people that he is real and that he exists. It's amazing. And he's going to use an angel. And an angel is going to go around proclaiming the gospel But there will be people who are like, I don't care if it is an angel in the sky proclaiming the gospel. I don't want anything to do with your Jesus. And that's sad. Listen, that should break your heart, but that breaks God's heart. Please know that. It was his only son. If I sent my son to die on behalf of people and people just turned around and said, I don't care about your son, that would crush me. That would absolutely crush me. And especially if I knew, like, no, 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 but he's the only way. He's your only hope. He's your rescue. I hate your son. You don't even know my son. Essentially, this is what's happening. This is what gets communicated. And there's consequences. There are consequences. Reject Jesus. Okay. Then you get to drink the cup. Because he offered to drink it for you. Verse 12, it says, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently. You must endure persecution patiently. Obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus, this applies to you and I today. Because you may be like, well, we're not in tribulation. Hey, guess what? This applies to you and I today. Because I think we're getting glimpses of the fact that the world doesn't really like the church that much. Okay? And if you're not in tune to that, just hold on. It'll become a whole lot clearer, I'm sure, in months to come. Right? The world does not like the church that much. And that's not to say that everybody in the world or everybody who's lost hates the church because that's not true. But you can sense that there is an undercurrent flowing really rapidly through our nation, our Christian, quote unquote. And I use quotations because I don't believe our nation's a Christian nation. But it's flowing through our nation saying, like, The church is the problem. The church is the problem. Believers, 
endure tribulation, endure persecution patiently. Obey his commands, maintain your faith in Jesus. So it's true for these guys. It's absolutely true for us today. I don't even think we have it all that hard today. But you keep following Jesus. But what if Facebook takes my videos off, you know, Facebook? Who cares? Who cares? Keep following Jesus. Post more videos, right? Drive those guys nuts, right? Do whatever, whoever those guys are. I don't even know who that is. Who cares? You keep following Jesus. Just keep following Jesus. Because by the way, that will be next. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. I was just thinking about this today as I was going through these chapters and reading through this stuff. I'm like, I bet pretty soon, because these videos, live streams, they run through Facebook, their live service. I'm sure there will be a day where they say, we can't broadcast your service because it contains insensitive material. I'm sure it's coming. So what do we do? We just keep doing what we do. I don't need Facebook. We don't need them. They don't run the world. I don't care if there are a billion people on Facebook. It doesn't matter, okay? We can still do what we do, and we still follow Jesus regardless of whatever, whoever may say, right? Don't let it get you down. You just keep following Jesus. All right, so verse 13, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on, yes, says the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from all their toils and trials for their good deeds. Follow them. The emphasis there is to continue to follow Jesus, regardless of the persecution, regardless of uh, the things that we patiently must endure. uh, We need to just continue to follow Jesus, even if for these guys in Revelation, the reality was it was going to be costing them their lives. Regardless if it cost them their lives or not, we stay focused on him. We continue to follow Jesus. We stay focused. Uh, there will be rest. And even for us today, uh, who are not going through the tribulation time, but even for us today, it's a word of encouragement for us. All the toil, all the trials, all the difficulties, uh, rest is coming in the end. So just keep. we're just going to keep on following Jesus. Verse 14, I saw a white cloud and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. Oh, who could it be? Uh, it's Jesus, okay? Some people are going to say, no, it's an angel. No, no, no. This is Jesus. Who do you want to show up when it's like third angels like, hey, by the way, all you guys who willingly worship the Antichrist, um, it's not going to look good for you. Drink some wrath. You've got a cup of wrath coming for you. Who do we need to show up in this moment in time for us and for our heart's sake? Jesus. And there he is. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle, for the time of the harvest has come and the crop of the earth is ripe. This is why people think it's an angel, because no angel gets to bosh Jesus around. Well, this angel is coming from the temple, meaning he's a messenger. He got a direct message from God the Father. And God the Father said, hey, Jesus, it's time. It's time. It's time for what? Oh, it's time for a harvest. The grapes, they are ripe, all right? This is what this is saying. So 
sitting on the cloud, verse 16. He swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven. He also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came from the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle. This is a different angel. Swing your sickle. Now gather the cluster of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So there's Jesus getting up all the believers. Now, this is sometimes where people think, well, this is the rapture, right? Well, we believe these are tribulation saints that Jesus is going to, they're like, hey, Jesus, get the wheat. We're going to deal with the tares, okay? So the righteous are rescued, these tribulation saints. This harvest happens. So this tells us the 144,000, their faithful testimony, their witness worked. People were getting saved. A harvest happens during the tribulation. How many people? I don't know, but I'm sure it's a pretty healthy harvest. But there's another one, one that's ripe for judgment, overly ripe, just plump. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream of about 180 miles long and as high as the horse's bridle, so like, you know, pretty high. So is that like literally a river of blood that is just flowing that much, or is it just basically like the splatter of blood? Lots of people believe it's just a splatter of blood. For 180 miles, I believe that's the same distance, or it's close to it from Megiddo, the Valley of Armageddon is what we would call that, Megiddo, to Jerusalem. I believe that's the distance. I've been there. I've done that before. I'm I'm pretty sure that that's kind of close to what that distance is. It means that judgment's going to happen. Is this a reference to the battle of Armageddon, like the final battle? Yeah, it probably is. And that Jesus, this is kind of like a little snapshot of like what's going to happen. And judgment comes and the wicked are, well, they're squash like a grape. You guys ever seen Karate Kid? It's such a good movie. I don't, well, I can't recommend it. I'm learning now. I'm a pastor. I'm like, I can't recommend movies because I don't know if they're good or bad, right? But Mr. Miyagi, in that, he always uses this term like squash, like grape, right? And so it always reminds me of this. Um, in the end, the bad guys, bad guys lose. Bad guys lose. Righteous are rescued. The wicked, they're harvested as well. But remember, they got to drink the cup. They get to drink the cup. Chapter 15, our little, uh, little eight verses here. We want to end on a high note. We want to end on the high note, okay? It says, then I saw in heaven. So here's John again. He just sees this harvest happen. He sees all this stuff going on. Then he looks up. I saw in heaven another marvelous event of great significance. I wonder if that's important. Yeah, of course it is, okay? That's what the Bible is saying. This matters, all right? Uh, seven angels were holding um, the seven last plagues. Oh, that is pretty significant. Seven, meaning completion, the seven bowls uh, of completion. It says here, which would bring God's wrath to completion, okay? I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire, and on it stood the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. So there are overcomers. There are overcomers. As bleak as it may seem it gets and all that stuff, there are people who overcome the beast. They win. 
They win because Jesus won. You and I win because Jesus has won. End of story. You fight from the hill of victory, not from the valley of defeat. Okay, so don't walk around like you're living in the valley of defeat. You have the high point. You have the advantage. Victory. You have victory. And there's this group of people, and they're standing on this sea of glass, this mixture of glass and this fire. The fire could be um, the reflection off of the glass sea of God's judgment, the final seven bowls of his judgment. But here's this group, man, they're victorious over the beast, his statue, and the number 666. They overcame all that. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. So they had their own song. The song of Moses, what's that about? Deliverance. Deliverance. Remember, he was the guy who led them out of Egypt. And so these guys have been rescued out of the world. They've been rescued from Babylon. They've been rescued from the beast and all that stuff. And they sing this song, and it's recorded for you. It says, great and marvelous are your works. Great and marvelous are your works. O Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous deeds have been revealed. Note the absence of personal pronouns. That makes for a pretty good worship song. I get it. There's times we sing some songs and, and we have music videos where, you know, at times you're like, okay, I get it. Yes, we can sing songs about what we're going to do and, and all that stuff. I get it. Sometimes we go overboard on that. There's been times where I've counted through one song. I'm like, yes, I will. Okay, how many times will I do this? Okay, that's quite a lot about me, all right? And I get it. The heart behind the song is absolutely pure. I understand. But there's times where our songs just need to be completely absent of us and totally about him. Note this song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. There is nothing in here about the ones singing the song. Nothing. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous deeds have been revealed. That's a beautiful song. That's an amazing song. Now, don't go away from this thinking like anytime some personal pronoun or something is mentioned in a worship song, just throw that one away. No, they're not bad songs, okay? They're not bad songs. But I do know in my life, because my prayer life is filled with me, myself, and I. And there's times where my prayer life needs to be filled with God, you, you, you. If your prayer life's anything like mine, then sometimes it's just too much of me, myself, and I. And, and it's not always bad. Sometimes it's like, Lord, I'm going to do this for you, Lord, and all this stuff. And he's like, oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know, probably not. Um, Witch it around. Lord, you're so awesome. Lord, you're faithful. Lord, you're great. You're marvelous. So whether it's in our prayers or our songs, the focus always has to be him. It just always has to be him. Now, here you go. The start of this 
the in judgment. And then we won't go into these, but um, this is just a precursor here. It says, then I looked and saw that the temple in heaven, God's tabernacle, was thrown wide open. The seven angels who were holding the seven plagues came out of the temple. They were clothed in spotless white linen or spotless garments, okay? White, pure white, you know, little garb, okay? Linen, and they were all dressed. It was just purity, what it is. It's just pure, absolutely pure. I can't wear white. I cannot wear white because I don't know what it is. Stuff finds me when I'm wearing a white T-shirt, all right? I bought a shirt that has a white shirt, and I've already, I've worn it, worn it twice. And after each time, I'm taking it off, and I'm spraying stain stuff on there. I'm like, what is happening to me? That will not be a problem in heaven. Praise God for that. I will be wearing white in heaven. I'll be like, I don't have to worry about stains. Um, just another bonus about heaven um, for me. Not that I care too much about stains, but you get it. Here's these guys coming out, these white linen. I mean, they're clothed in it. It's spotless. It's brilliant. With gold sashes across their chests. Then one of the four living beings handed each of the seven angels a gold bowl filled with the wrath of God. Yikes, right? <laughs> Imagine being that angel. You're like, okay, here's your bowl. Um, now God's going to fill it up with wrath. You're like, uh, I don't want this getting on me at all, right? <laughs> like, uh, how far out can I hold this thing? And they filled them up with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from God's glory and power. No one could enter the temple until the seven angels had completed pouring out the seven plagues. And that pouring out, that's not like a slow pouring. That's like a dumping out kind of a deal. But this is the setup for the very end of it all. This is it. Seven plagues. This will be it. And then after this, it's Babylon does indeed fall. We get to watch that. We'll read through that in chapter 17. Speaks quite a bit about that. We're going to work through the seven bowls of judgment. We'll go through those things. We'll watch Babylon get destroyed. Um, we'll get to watch what happens with uh, Satan getting chained up, thrown into a bottomless pit for a thousand years, and what that entails and what that kind of looks like. The victory that is to be had in heaven for all saints, not just the tribulation ones, but for all saints. And then we'll get to see a new heaven and a new earth that will be your dwelling place forever and ever and ever. The end of the story, guys, God wins. He wins. I mean, you can even say it like this. God has won. He has won. So our role within this whole thing is stay faithful, stay true, stay committed to Jesus. Even if you don't ever experience a single day of the tribulation, you and I must stay faithful. We remain faithful. We remain obedient. We share the gospel in any way that you can. Okay, let me say it like that. In any way that you can. Maybe that is through a Facebook post. Then share the gospel through Facebook. Share it through Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. Um, however you possibly write cards, send letters. Nobody receives handwritten letters anymore. That alone will blow somebody's brain, right? They'll be like, what in the world? What is this? Like, how would I? It's No, just communicate however you possibly can the gospel of Jesus Christ to whomever it is that the Lord lays on your heart. Because you may not have to be afraid of the tribulation, but I'm sure you know somebody who might be quickly headed down that road. And whenever this happens, hey, what do we do? Well, how can we 
get the gospel out there? How can we get the gospel out there? We try to do that as much as we can. I mean, that's why we do the live video. That's why we do a radio. That's why we do a podcast. It's all so we can get the gospel out there. But it's not just the churches. It's not just my responsibility. It's our responsibility. Jesus is like a fresh wind blowing through a winterized, closed-up cabin that's musty and devoid of company. He changes everything, eliminating the cobwebs that so easily entangle. And as we learn from the book of Revelation, it will one day be the same with this old, sin-filled world that we live in. Everything will be different, and it's going to be better because that's what Jesus does. Today's message isn't the only one that Pastor James Grizzle has taught. To hear others like this one, make sure you go to breadforthebroken.com for more. You know, Satan wants nothing more than to distract you from spending time in God's Word. The question is, will you disappoint him? Will you continue to seek ways to grow closer to Jesus? We hope that today's message has blessed and inspired you. We can't know what season of life you're in, but we trust that Jesus spoke to your heart today through this message, and we hope that you'll be back for more. Would you like to help spread the good news of Jesus? A donation of any size would help us. We're so thankful for those that would support us financially. Find more information at breadforthebroken.com. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Galveston, Texas. Pastor James Grizzle and everyone here is anxious to meet you. So feel free to come either Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. We hope to see you soon. We're just a group of people who are laid back and desire to magnify Jesus at all ages. Be assured there's something here for you, too. Come back again for more on Revelation, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.